how to how to handle it. Then. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. You, you would be much better we go. than I. <laughs> so, for the recording's sake, this is Philippians chapter four. Um, questions about verses one through five in review. If not, how about one through nine? What about this uh, in in verse six? And this is a verse that has been quoted to me many times. Uh, I need it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in what ways are we to make our requests known to God? And how should the impact of the kinds of, uh, how should this impact the kinds of things that we pray for? With thanksgiving. Okay, that's really important. When we come to God asking for things, we need to, in the same breath, acknowledge the things he's already given. <clears throat> right? It is really easy. It's really easy to get caught up in what we feel like is our lack. We're, we're begging God. We're, we're asking him for something that we feel that we need. And it's easy to get really caught up in the, the lack and forget what God has already given. And if we would take more time, I think, to look back and consider, maybe even look now and consider what God has given, continues to give, uh, thanksgiving helps us um, not be quite as um, caught up in our needs. What else? It's not stated here Craig, directly, but I think there's a, there's a tone in the verse of a, a contrite and humble heart uh, just in the way it's presented. Right. Um, does anyone else's translations, I didn't look this up, use a different word than supplication? I think the ESV uses supplication. I'm pretty sure the New King James does as well. The Old King James does. The Old King James does as well. Leanne? Mine uses supplication, but I looked it up. Yes. And it actually implies uh, humility. Yes. I had to as well, because it's not a word I use on a regular basis. It is. It's the action or asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly, which acknowledges that the person I'm asking from is higher than I am, has more power, has more authority than I do. And I am, I am begging the person in control to do something uh, that I can't do for myself. And so it's, it's acknowledging when, when I compare myself to God, I, I don't even have a right to be asking him for anything. But I'm doing that humbly because he says that we can and and we're begging, we're pleading for something. But he uses the word prayer first. How are those two words different? Is it just kind of redundancy here? He's trying to make a point. What are some other things that we can do in prayer that are not necessarily supplication, asking for something? Praise. Right. Sometimes when we pray to God, it is simply <clears throat> praising him and, and acknowledging his greatness. And that's all it is. Um, we try to encourage um, in our own prayers, especially as we're trying to teach our kids to pray, that it shouldn't only be 
asking, right? God, we're just calling because we need something. It shouldn't always be supplication. It should first, and I think that's why he puts prayer first, acknowledging God's holiness. It's it's giving him praise and thanksgiving. Um, and then it's okay that in those prayers, we then make supplication to him, wrapping it up with thanksgiving. Uh, Craig, the yes, NIV uses petition. Petition, thank you. Instead of supplication. So yes, and, and, and we, we do use that term, I think, more often than supplication, right? I signed a petition, right, to get something changed. It's I'm going to those in authority with my petition so that they can change the law or alter the code. or um, And we acknowledge that God is the one that, that we go to. Um, he's the one with authority. Also I like petitioning a court. Or petitioning a court, right, a legal term, Absolutely. This is a verse that I need reminding of, and and I, I don't imagine I'm the only one that struggles with this, but how many of us, when we're in trouble or we need, we need strength, we need guidance, we need wisdom, that first we exhaust our own strength and wisdom, and then we go, what else can I do? This is beyond me. And then I go and I ask God. It doesn't make sense. It should be the other way around. Before I even try to use my own strength, which is going to be inadequate to the task, I go to God who will then give me what? When I make prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to him, what does he promise he will give me? Peace, Peace, which is beyond our understanding. And if you've ever seen a Christian deal with the death of a loved one, it doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense. But we have this hope that is beyond this world, and, and there's a peace about people like that, that that is beyond understanding. But he also offers us what? What else? Protection. He will guard our hearts and our minds. He will guard our emotions and our reason, our decision-making, so that when we go about setting to the task that we have in front of us, our, our hearts and our minds will be protected and guarded by God so that we won't go into a situation and, and make uh, foolish decisions. That God should be our first response. We don't go into battle without armor. Why would we go into uh, difficult, stressful situations without first guarding, allowing God to guard our hearts and minds? Any other thoughts about this section, David? Uh, one thing that I think we need to point out, this doesn't imply that God doesn't know what we need before we tell it. Right. Uh, and right. sometimes I think it can come across that way. Right. But, but he literally does, but still wants us to make those requests to him. Yes. Do you remember that the sermon that, that Tommy did a few weeks back? God remembered his people, right? It wasn't that he had forgotten. It wasn't that he had he had somehow like lost track of us for a moment. Um, but when the Israelites called out to God in Egyptian slavery and God saw and he knew and he acknowledged and then he remembered he did something with that knowledge. Um, God wants to hear from us. He knows he knows what we're going through. He knows it better than anyone could. 
but he wants us to ask. He wants us to to make those requests known to him. And it seems possibly part of the reason for that is not only he wants us to get used to asking, but when you have to actually articulate what you want or need or think you want or think you need, you work through part of it and you may realize you don't know what you want, you don't know what you need, and so you can turn it over to God more easily instead of, you know, I need the red Ferrari. Well, no, you don't. Um, But, and that whole idea of applying your mind and your humility to what's going on and kind of, obviously I can't figure out how to, no. Articulate this. Fortunately, there's you know somebody who can intervene for that. Right? Well, no, you think about uh, you're you're exactly right. Sometimes just the process of of speaking it out loud or speaking it in our minds to God helps us work through it. How many times do we see David or other psalmists do exactly that, where they start by saying, "I'm in distress and it's there's no way out. I feel completely surrounded and overwhelmed." And by the end of the psalm, they're saying. But God, you're amazing. You've never left me. Uh, I'm not going to be in fear. You're you're in control. You're on your throne. But it took the process of talking to God to get them to remind themselves. In fact, I'd say it, it's not exactly a prayer, but we do see even Paul do that in chapter one, right? When he's saying, I'm not sure even what to ask for. I wish that I were done with this life, but I wish that I could continue with this life. And by the end of that, just communicating it out, um, he comes to the conclusion that it's better for him to stay and, and, and get to work. Um, there are times where we just we don't have the words for it, maybe to speak it out to another human being. And we're struggling with how we're feeling like that's the best time to pray, to talk to God and just let let him know in, in our broken feelings um, what we're struggling with and 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 i'm convinced that that is the time that he will uh guard our hearts and our minds and and give us a peace what about verses eight and nine we're really familiar with this particular verse philippians 4 8 finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And I know various translations have all sorts of substitutes for these words, but I I think we can get the general sense. Why do we have this passage? Why was, uh, maybe let's look first at why was he saying this to the Philippian Christians? And what kind of application can we draw from it? Yes. Well, it's like a how-to guide to this peace that he was just talking about, right? Like, God will give us peace, and so we're all thinking, okay, how? And then he explains, you know, what kind of things you set your mindset on. And then in verse 9, he said, this is what I do to have peace, and if you do this, the God, God's peace will be with you. So, I mean, he knows that they're going through a difficult time, and obviously he's faced really difficult times, and he just explained that earlier about everything that he's been through in chapter 3. Right. And this is how you can set your mindset to have peace. Yes, and I really do appreciate you pointing out, 
let's not just take verse eight all by itself and try to draw application from it. That's not, that's not how it was written. That's not what it's for. It's for considering what he's already said. I think it's for considering what he's getting ready to say. And remember, just a few verses earlier, he's talking to two women and someone, whoever this, um, in verse three, whoever this true companion or uh, old English says, fellow or true yoke fellow whoever this person is that he's encouraging to help these two women through their conflict i think this verse verse eight is is part of this conversation right i think verse five and six about not being anxious is part of this conversation and so when we're in the midst of conflict when we're in the midst of anxiety when when we're in the midst of, of trial or difficulty Focusing on these kinds of things will benefit us. I think they're essential. Um, and then Paul, again, uses himself as an example. This is now the third time he's done it in this letter. What you've learned and received and heard and seen. So not it's not this do as I say and not as I do. Paul's saying do as I say and do as I do. What you've seen in me, practice these things. So he's saying, I, I am one that you've seen these kind of characteristics in. Someone who is thinking about and focusing on things that are true and honorable and just and pure. We easily fall into the trap of thinking the opposite of these sorts of things. Um, I used to work in news, television news, and it is human nature. Bad news is more interesting than good news. It's true. We would run stories about corruption before we would run stories about someone doing something virtuous. Right? We as human beings are more interested in evil. Hurricanes are more entertaining than the breaking ground of a new hospital, right? People are naturally more drawn to hearing about and spreading bad news than they are good. And yet Christians are called to something higher than that, something better than that. And just because it's human nature, um, when we think of gossip, it's not that I am spreading good news about somebody secretly. It's usually that I'm spreading something evil, something wrong, something hurtful. But we as Christians are are to wrap our minds around and fill them with things that are true and honorable and just. And so without going into uh, my entertainment sermon, just consider what, what kinds of things are we putting in our minds? In the news that we're reading, in the movies that we're watching, the people that we're engaged with, the conversations that we are having, the podcasts that, that we're listening to. Somebody said that the uh, things we're thinking about determines the direction Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so if we're thinking about things that are not true, things that are dishonorable, things that are unjust, things that are filthy, then that is going to come out, right? And and he said that's going to determine our direction. Um, and so before we engage in anything, before we consume anything, I think we ask the wrong question if we first ask, is there anything offensive in this? 
I think it is better if we first ask, is there anything honorable, commendable, anything praiseworthy in this? Uh, just because I'm watching a movie that's not filled with, you know, curse words doesn't mean that it's something I ought to be consuming. Oh, okay. Any other thoughts on this section before we jump into our I section? I think it's kind of interesting that he does, there's not a bunch of do nots. Do not do this, do not do this. Rather, this is, he deals with this from a positive standpoint. Yes. Yeah, and and uh, who was it that brought up the point of you, you learn what's a counterfeit by knowing what the genuine article is, right? You don't have to learn and know the wrong in order to live in, in the right. Um, yeah, there is great danger in us thinking that we have to be familiar with the world's evil in order to counter it. Uh uh, I don't know that there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, was there another hand? All sorts of hands. Bob and then Luke. Well, this is the, the little think. This, these are the think, do, feel verses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we think of that. We should think of this as a prescription, I think. Uh, because you look at the end of those verses, verse 9, and it says, and the peace of God will be with you. Anytime... We're not at peace in our hearts, knowing Jesus Christ and the salvation he's brought into us. Then we need to run backwards up these verses and figure out what we're not doing right or thinking on. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. It's a very simple little prescription. Uh, and, and it gives us a, 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 an opportunity to, to self-analyze and say, here's my, here's my shortfall here. Absolutely. Luke? I think this idea of focusing on what is good and right and praiseworthy makes a lot of sense, too. When you go all the way back up to verse 2, when she's dealing with Yodi and Satiki, there's some sort of disagreement in that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a tendency when we see something, it's like, oh, you and I disagree on this. The only thing our relationship winds up being about is on that disagreement. We ignore all that other stuff that's really, really good, and we focus on that one thing. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy, is it? It's not healthy. Let's jump into. Oh, I'm sorry. One more. I just when you were when you were doing the opposite of them about the unjust, it just hit me that he's in prison while he's saying this. And how is he? He says he's learned to be content in whatever state he's in, and this tells how he's doing. He's not focusing. It was very unjust that he was in prison, really. Yes. A lot of other negative things, but he's focusing on the positive. Absolutely, and in fact. Because I was trying to do some research, I was trying to, to determine how long he had been in prison when this letter was was sent. He doesn't tell us. Now, we can kind of infer it from other sections in Acts and other things. But the fact that Paul gives us very little information about why he's there, how long he's been there, and the crimes that he's supposedly guilty of. He doesn't go into his case at all. And wouldn't we be naturally inclined to do that, Right? I want you guys to know, you may have heard these things about me, but I'm innocent and this is why, and here's my defense. And Man, he doesn't go into any of that. The only reason we even know that it's Roman that he's in prison is because he mentions that the gospel is being spread to the guards, right? He doesn't make it about him. He doesn't go into the, the woe is me attitude that, that we tend to fall into. Um, he is instead focusing on the things that are good and pure and true and and commendable. 
like his freedom in Christ is overruling the uh, bondage of freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and read through the rest of this uh, chapter. Do we have a volunteer to do 10 through 23? I'm sorry, I said, yeah, 10 through 23. Sarah, go for it. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of, in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, Thessalon, that place, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet each saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you. So let's kind of look at the chapter as a whole. What word or words would you use to describe Philippians 4? How would we kind of summarize? I know it's difficult to condense it into a single word. Encouragement? Joy, 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 joy. That's multiple uses of the same word. Contentment. Peace. Peace. What else? This is one of those questions where it's like, there's no, there's no wrong. Gratefulness. Yeah, I had appreciation. Absolutely. He's demonstrating thankfulness. And it's fascinating to me because we just talked about it. Considering his circumstances, that he would finish his letter with that kind of spirit, that kind of heart. Contentment. Fellowship, appreciation, thanksgiving. <coughs> Why would Paul choose to wrap up his letter in this way, do you think? Maybe consider again, why is he sending this letter in the first place? Based on what we've already read, why is he sending this letter? He's encouraging them to stand firm against false teaching, those that would attack, you know, their faith. And, you know, what better way to do that than point out all these positives. Right. All these benefits of being a Christian. Yeah. Why else, man? Just 
human nature to get discouraged by the clinical circumstances. And if anyone had a cause for discouragement, it was Paul. And the fact that you wraps this up so full of hope is just reminding these Christians and us that our hope is not here. Like, this world is discouraging. Right. Like, no matter what, you have a picture of what, who should be discouraged. But right. he offers hope because it's spiritual hope. It's <coughs> in God and not just. Yeah. It's not dependent on circumstances, and we're going to get that a little bit more here in, in just a minute. Sarah? And part of it may also be sort of kind of reassure them. He's sending Epaphroditus. He's planning to send Timothy. We don't know how um, how many other people are there with Paul helping him out. We know that the Philippians have cared for him in the past and continue to. And so he's reminding them that all of these his needs are being supplied and they don't have to kind of freak out. Oh no, Epaphroditus is coming back to us. So he can't help Paul anymore. And Timothy can't. And he doesn't want them to be worried because they've already provided a lot and God has provided everything that yeah. he needs. Yeah, really. And, and, and you summed it up in, in that way. He's writing this letter so that they will not be overly concerned about him or overly concerned about Epaphroditus. Or overly concerned about Timothy. He says that in chapter 2. He wants to let them know. That contrary to how it may seem. He's doing okay. Because at that distance. If all they've heard about is. Paul's been arrested. And he's been in Rome now. And he can't be free anymore. He's writing this letter to set their minds at ease. And he finishes it by saying, it doesn't actually matter. It doesn't matter where I am or what's happening to me. This this uh, heart of contentment, um, this idea of thankfulness is is beyond our circumstances. So let's let's talk about that. Based on the insights from the previous three chapters, how was Paul able to learn contentment regardless of his circumstances? What has he given up at this point? Some things he's willingly given up and some things have been forcibly taken from him. What has he willingly given up? He communicates that in chapter three. That whole list of being a, a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee right. and circumcised on the eighth day and all of those genealogical trappings. And yeah. Religious trappings. His family, his reputation, his standing, his career, all of those things he willingly gave up. Garbage. And he, he counted them as garbage, right? It wasn't that he said, these are really valuable and I'm going to tuck these away. Maybe I'll come back to these later. Uh, those are garbage. Now that I've got Christ and you compare those two things, it's, it's not even a fair comparison. Those are garbage. And he's given those things up. What has been taken from him? We've already mentioned it. His freedom has been taken from him. His rights have been taken from him. Um, yes. It's like letting go of all the ways that the world learns to value you or value yourself and just letting go of like status, wealth, everything that the world used to see whether you're a successful person or not. Yeah. 
And and Paul is saying, look, I've, I've learned the secret here. All of those things, whether I gave them up or they've been taken from me, they don't define me. They're not who I am. That's not my identity. He says, I've learned how to be brought low and I've learned how to abound. Paul wants us to understand that we can't control our circumstances. We can control our attitude. And so circumstances do not determine our attitude. But oftentimes, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, I try very hard to control my circumstances. And I get very frustrated and anxious and worried when I can't. And then that affects my attitude because I'm frustrated that I can't control my circumstances. And that affects how I treat other people. And it hurts relationships. But Paul recognized these truths. I can't always control my circumstances, but I do have control over this. I do have control over how I respond to this. And so circumstances are now no longer going to have the power over me that they once had. Yes, David. And I can give my circumstances over to the one who does have power over them. Yes. Absolutely. And it's something we didn't mention, right? When we, when we in verse 6, make our requests known to God, in verse 7, it does not say that God will then change the circumstances. Correct. <laughs> it doesn't say that at all. What it says is that he will do something to change our hearts and our minds. He'll guard them. He'll, he'll reinforce them. And we, we talk about this, right? When we ask for God and sometimes God does allow the circumstances to change and we can be thankful for that. We talk about it in, in the, in the idea of God answered our prayer or God didn't. And that's not, that's not biblical, right? Sometimes God answers our prayer by leaving the circumstances exactly the way that they are. But instead, if we allow him, He answers our prayer by giving us the strength that we need, the peace that passes understanding, so that we can endure the circumstances, David. God knows far better than we what is best for us. Right. Uh, We may think we know, and we can even ask for the things that we think would be good for us. Right. But part of the comfort is God has said he'll give us what's best for us even if that's not what we were thinking at the time. Right. And, I mean, I can cite you numerous examples in my life, and I suspect most of us in here can cite examples of things that we wanted to happen, we prayed that would happen, and it didn't. God said no, and he knew much better than we. Yeah. And... I'm thankful that I didn't get what I asked for. Right. And I don't know. Uh, It's pure speculation on my part. What would have happened if Paul had been released prior to his need to write this letter? I would imagine that he would have done a different kind of work. Probably an in-person, he would have continued to travel, perhaps establish some churches. But instead... Because he was stuck in prison, this letter got written, and now it's benefiting people thousands of years later. Do you know where the church in Philippi exists today? 
It doesn't. Do you know where the local church exists in Jerusalem today? It doesn't. But we have writings now that occurred because his circumstances were awful that Christians are now benefiting from and will continue to benefit from until time ends. I saw a hand over here, Ryan. This reminds me of a line from the cinematic masterpiece Kung Fu Panda. (laughs) (laughs) An old master, Kung Fu master, was talking to a younger one. He said, you have to give up the illusion of control. And the young one said, illusion? What do you mean? I'm totally in control. And the rest of the movie is that just falling apart on him. Yes. And it seems like whenever things start to get out of our control, we just tighten our grip even more. Um, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Lloyd. So he says in um, chapter 1, verse 12, this is where he indicates what he learned, contentment. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And once he recognizes that his circumstances they don't concern him or bother him any longer because of the result yeah and so don't misunderstand it is not wrong to pray that our circumstances change that's not wrong paul prayed that he would be released soon It was perfectly acceptable for him to do that. But he also understood that whether he was or not, he had control over this. His attitude. And that changes the way we respond to our circumstances. So there's another well-known verse. I would say this is more than any of them. What you see in memes across social media, and it's this verse all by itself. What is the context surrounding the well-known, this well-known scripture? And we've, we've been talking about it for the last 15 minutes. And how does that impact the meaning that is oftentimes associated with it? How have you heard this passage used? It means bless whatever, whatever a person does. Yeah. I can do anything and God's going to give me the strength to do it. Salesman. <laughs> a salesman, right? I do not mean to be the bearer of bad news. You can't do anything you set your mind to. God's not going to give you the strength to do anything. I will never be a pilot or an astronaut. Apparently, they don't like the idea of diabetics passing out while flying vehicles. And there's no amount of strength that God's going to give me that will allow that to change. So what does this verse mean? What is it really about? To me, the way I've always learned it to be is whatever God put, whatever situation God puts you in, that is the situation that you try to, with everything that you learn in verse 12 through through Paul's teaching, Mm -hmm. you take all that and you pretty much... You take then all your strength and you give it to Christ, to Jesus. You, you know, you lean on on Him. Yes, yes. And I think that's where you know the word contentment throughout this whole section here is really important. You yeah. need to learn to also be content in the situations that He's giving you. Yeah. 
And we, when we use the word supplication, it implies the acknowledgement of humility. It implies we understand that compared to God, we are nothing. Our strength is indeed small, right? And that shouldn't discourage us because we have the knowledge that I can overcome any circumstance, not change any circumstance, but I can get through it, I can endure it, and I can become better through it, through the strength that God gives to me. Whether that's prison or illness or the death of a loved one or the lost faith of another, I can do all things to endure any kind of circumstance. This is more than just positive thinking, too. Yes. Expound on that. Boyd, before I expound on your incredible point. What, what do you mean by that? It's more than just positive thinking. Well, the, the, uh, the idea in the world is if you just think positively, everything's going to be okay. Right. Well, uh, everything, if, if you do all of this, everything may not be okay, but you can still be, just like you're saying, you can still control your attitude. Right. And I also think that it involves changing our definition of what's okay. Yeah. Right? Because Paul said in chapter 1, to live is Christ and to die is the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. No, he had totally flipped that because Christ totally flipped that. Death does not mean for Christians what it means for the rest of the world. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he helps me actually understand the way the world really is and to see it for what it really is. Death is an enemy, there's no doubt, but the enemy's been defeated. And pain is, pain, sickness is real, but in the view of eternity, it is so temporary. And it's a matter of perspective. You guys remember that uh, that Francis Chan illustration with the rope, right? Have you seen this? Shake your head if you haven't seen it. Okay, most. He brings a rope from backstage and it strings all you know all the way off. And he said, imagine that that rope just goes on to eternity, right? There's no end to that rope. And here at the end of this rope, I have a small piece of tape. And that piece of tape is my existence, my physical existence here on this earth. And the rest of that is my existence in eternity. And we get so caught up on the little teeny sliver here, like if I get a good education, that'll get me a good job so that I can have a good retirement. So that, And we forget that the rope is significantly longer than all of this. We get so caught up with the piece of tape that we forget that there's so much more to it. I believe that the way that Christ strengthens us is he helps us understand the way things really are. That we are just living in this very, very temporary. The Bible says it's a, it's a mist, right? It is so short and temporal that it's just before we even recognize that it's there, it has faded. And that should then change my outlook and change my response to hardship. Did I see a hand, Bob? Yeah, just <clears throat> back. Excuse me, at verse eight. I think I think one of the things that we're challenged with is. Uh, what Paul says, I, I, I count all things for loss for Christ, and we can kind of breeze, breeze through that very quickly. That everything that he's talking about focuses back on that concept. Paul was powerful. 
he was influential. He was capable. And he was a Pharisee. All the things that he's listed. And then he just, he dumped it all out. Mm -hmm. He emptied himself. The strength that he has now comes from Christ. Right. And I I just ask myself, do I think that way about my life? You know, uh, do I struggle with emptying the bucket and, and just letting Christ fill me up? Yeah, and I think the encouragement is there, and then these other these blessings that come from doing that are what he's he's embellishing. Yeah, yeah. I want to share a a quote that I found from Paul Earnhardt. He preached a sermon um, in Alabama back in 2016, and and he says we are not responsible for what happens to us, beloved, but we are responsible for what happens to what happens to us. People need to see joy in us. Now, that is not the happy smile all the time, but the joy that says everything is going to be all right. A joy that says, I'm serving a God who cares for me. I know that I have nothing to fear as long as I put my trust in him. And so I'm rejoicing. Even on my worst day, I'm rejoicing. We have been granted as a gift to suffer for him. Pain is a more powerful teacher than pleasure by far. It gets our attention. It makes you think and consider. We are granted the privilege of suffering for Christ. Paul had learned to be content. May God grant us the same education. He says, and I had to listen to it a couple of different times. We are responsible for what happens to what happens to us. Because so often, when we respond in a way that we shouldn't, it is a temptation to say, well, I did that because X, Y, Z happened to me. And that is the wrong, that is the wrong rationale. Because if Christ was able to, as nails were going through his hands, say, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. We have no right to say, I acted this way because this happened to me. But we are responsible. We are responsible for our response to our circumstances. And that people should see joy in us. And it's a joy that isn't this this fake, I plaster a smile on my face and if someone asks me how I'm doing, I always say, I'm great. But it is a joy, it's an attitude that says, I'm serving a God who cares for me. I know that I have nothing to fear as long as I put my trust in him. And so I'm rejoicing. Even on my worst day, I'm rejoicing. And I'll acknowledge sometimes that I'm having a bad day. And things aren't easy. I don't picture Jesus with a smile plastered on his face all the time. He was described as a man of sorrows. And yet, he had an attitude and a perspective of what was happening to him that we need to emulate. And it's okay to share when we're having hard hard times. It's okay to share when we're experiencing difficulties. Um, but our attitude should be different uh, than the world's attitude. I've skipped over a few points and I'm okay with that because we'll come back to the rest of this on Wednesday, Wednesday is our final class, and what I'd like us to do um, is to review both Ephesians and Philippians. 
Um, so we'll cover uh, a few more verses. Um, so let me just kind of explain what Wednesday will be. And depending on how much time we have after that explanation, we may do one more question. Um, on Wednesday, I would like us as a class to read through both letters because we haven't had an opportunity to do that. And I think that there is great benefit in just reading it all the way through. That's how the Christians in the first century consumed this. They would assemble and someone would open the letter and read it. And so I want us to do that. What I want us to do is read through Ephesians and then we can take a few minutes and talk about that, talk about themes, maybe additional questions that we didn't cover, and then we'll do the same thing for Philippians. So what I do need, um, if I can just get a few volunteers, as many as we can now, um, and then fill in the rest between now and Wednesday, but people who are willing to read a chapter. So I will read a chapter. There are 10 total. I need nine other volunteers who'd be willing to read a chapter on Wednesday. I assumed so. Phil? Okay. I'm sorry. That was different. That was... That is not... No. That is not... She is anxious to read the word. And there's nothing wrong with that. I only need eight. Now I only need That's true. So, I've got Sarah. I saw Phil. I saw Lloyd. Who else did I see? Uh, Ryan... Nope, I can't even spell your name. Okay, who else? Uh, and Boyd. And I can't spell Boyd's name either. Okay, yeah. And Bob. And me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I need two more. All right, cool. And one more. Way back there. Thank you, sir. Cool. I will send out an email and assign you a chapter. Um, and really, I want us to together, just just one right after the other, chapter after chapter, let's read through it. And I think reading all the way through it, we're going to start hearing those re- repetitive phrases and terms and, and themes, and, and that will be beneficial to us. Um, I've got 15 more seconds here. <laughs> but uh, let's consider the email that went out a couple days ago with a couple more questions about chapter four um, we'll finish those um, before we get into our reading of the two and I'll let you all go